So David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice, and I respected your person. And now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Once David found out about Nabal's attitude, as a warrior, he wanted to act on his anger for how Nabal treated him and his men. However, David was man enough and wise enough to take counsel from a woman. He knew that the issue wasn't of Abigail's gender, but that God used her at that time and place. David did well both to receive her advice and to praise her for her boldness in bringing it. Abigail emphasized David's glorious calling and destiny and the general integrity of his life and simply asked him to consider if his present course of action was consistent with that destiny and integrity. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. And he wasn't necessarily talking about the temple, although it did include that, but his house would be his enduring throne that would endure forever, speaking way past David to a descendant of David, none other than Jesus Christ. Uh, And notice what what Nathan says here, or God says to, to David in verse 12. He says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Do you think that what Abigail was saying was prophetic? You better believe it. Because God was going to tell David the very same thing years down the road. And here's this young woman being used by God saying, David, you're going to have an enduring house. And he goes on in verse 14 here in Second Samuel 7. He says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the son of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And notice, here it is again, verse 16, so important. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. He repeats it again. How did Abigail know that he would have an enduring house? The Spirit of God. That's what. This young woman. And David. <laughs> all, the while she, all the while she's talking, I bet his jaw is slowly dropping. He's listening to her and he's like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. 
And pretty soon his jawbone comes unhinged and his jaw hits the ground because he's listening to her and he knows that God is speaking through this woman. Verse 29, back in our text, says, Yet a man has risen to pursue you. And certainly we all know who that is. And he's come to seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. David, you are untouchable. David, you are divinely protected by God. And what a word of encouragement from a young lady. Not only is your house going to endure forever, but God is going to protect you, David. You are bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Doesn't that remind you of something? It's certainly reminding David of something. Can you imagine? At this point, his jaw has hit the ground. There's this beautiful young lady telling him all these things. And she even remembers when I took out Goliath. That day of faith. And David's probably comparing where he's at now compared to that day. And he's scratching his head and going, oh my, this woman is something. Can I take, can I, can I, can she be my wife now? And that's what David's thinking right about now. He's thinking, but she's married. I can't touch her. But his heart and his mind, his whole being is totally enthralled with Abigail. And, 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 and something begins to birth within him and her as well. Verse 30, it says, And it came to pass, when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you ruler over Israel. There it is again. She had a very good assurance and understanding that, David, you are going to be king. You're not going to die. And what an what a encouragement that was for him at this time. He was hungry. All of his guys are hungry. He's a little bit frosted. He's a little bit uh, crispy around the edges. He's running for his life. He knows that Saul's... Empty promises aren't going to last very long. And he's hearing from this woman all these wonderful, glorious things. And David is falling in love with her. Let this be no grief to you, nor offense to, of, of heart to my Lord, either that, you have shed, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. In other words, David, it's not worth your time to be messing with Nabal. So as his name is, so is he. Don't even get in, the, get in this guy's way. That's basically what she's saying. It's not worth your time. You don't want your reign to be stained with this incident that you're about to do. And I love what Proverbs says. In fact, I labeled this whole message, this, a soft answer turns away wrath. So Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this was Abigail's way of a soft answer. You notice how well she did it, too? That really takes something. That, that really takes the Spirit of God, and it takes a woman. I think there's very few guys that can, that can be led. I mean, it, it happens, don't get me wrong, but there's just something so sweet in the way she spoke to him, encouraging him not to go through with it, telling him of things to come yet. David, you don't want to be here. You don't want to be messing with this. So David, verse 32, he says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. David's eyes are bugging out of his head. He's going, this, I can't believe this is happening. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. 
And many a man, many a man has been saved, preserved or kept from calamity or harm because of the, the man had a virtuous and wise wife. Happy is the man who finds a woman like Na- or Abigail. I've got one. Happy is a man who has a woman like that, full of all these good things. Nabal owed Abigail his life. Turn with me to Proverbs 31. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to read. I'm just going to read straight through Proverbs. We're going to start in verse 10, because this is exactly the way Abigail was. This was her. Proverbs 31. This sounds like her. This sounds like Abigail. Verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. And I'm sure Nabal did. He trusted her. So he will have no lack of gain. In fact, I think Abigail was part of, her, part of the reason of his success. It's very possible. She does him good, verse 12, and not evil all the days of her life. She certainly is doing that. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night, but she stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy, which she did to David and his men. She is not afraid of snow of her household, for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine and purple, fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates, unfortunately not for the right things. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. And charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. And this was Abigail. This was Abigail. A virtuous woman. And again, David is totally enamored with her. A good match. So David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice, and I respected your person. And now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. And so it was, verse 37, in the morning, when the wine had gone out from Nabal. There he is, hung over from the night before totally unaware of what had transpired the night before, that his wife told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. He either suffered a stroke of some kind, or he had a heart attack, but whatever it was, 
He didn't last for long, for 10 days. It says, then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal. Notice it wasn't David. The Lord did it. And does that bother you a little bit? Maybe it does. But there's a line that Nabal crossed. And God has the right with life and death. And there is a line, and it's unique for every person. And there's no cookie-cutter kind of thing for Christians or non-believers, unbelievers. There's a line that when a person goes over that line, when God has had it, God has done. You know, we see that in the Scripture. But David didn't have to do it. He didn't have to take matters into his own hands. In Hebrews, it says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. I would encourage you to read Psalm 37 in its entirety, or down through verse 20, as we consider what we just looked at tonight. But God is sovereign over all of his creation. He has the right to life and death. And God would judge him for it. And we we see God intervening in instances like this all throughout the Scripture. We see it in Pharaoh. You know, how could God just make the determination to end somebody's life? He has that right. He knows what they're going to do. And in his mercy, sometimes he cuts their life short. He did it to Pharaoh. He's going to do it to Saul. David didn't kill Saul. The Philistines did it. He wouldn't put his hand to it. Herod the Great and Herod Agrippa, remember, standing with all the shiny garments and the people worshiping him like a god, and then he took the glory to himself, didn't give glory to God. And what does the Bible say? An angel of the Lord struck him, and he had worms, and they ate him from the inside out. Within days, he was dead. Or what about Ananias and Sapphira? Does God have the right to do that? The answer is yes, he does. We don't like it, but he does. Verse 39, so when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, <laughs> who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. You know, it would have been wrong for him to go kill. You know, We'll see David do that later with you know, Bathsheba. And yet David would crack like an egg and God would forgive him. And David's in heaven. He was a murderer and adulterer, but he confessed to his sin and he never did it again. Do you notice the difference? It's not the fact that you do something really dumb like that or you do something so sinful. The main thing is that you confess it and you turn from it. And whenever you step in that again, whenever you do it again, you confess it and you, 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 you turn from it. You keep confessing and turning and asking God to give you, and you know, some sins are habitual. And you've got to keep fighting that fight. And, and you always continue. And pretty soon you're going to be sick of it. And you're going, to be, you're going to get to the point where like, you know what, I've really had it. And the, the Lord's going, I know. You've been saying this for about a hundred times now so far and you haven't really turned. And God is so gracious. He's so gracious. But God forgave David and David is in glory. Remember that. Have you done something so wicked in your past that you can't forgive yourself, but God will forgive you? Well, if God forgives you and you don't forgive yourself, then what does that make you? It makes you God. God help us. Right? If God has forgiven you, why are you still lounging around and 
Why are you still unwilling to forgive yourself? Why are you still beating yourself up over something you did 20, 20, 15, 20 years ago? Why are you still kicking yourself, thinking that somehow you've got to atone for your own sin? It honors God when you ask him to forgive you because you're saying you're the only way that I can be forgiven. The blood of Christ is the only way, and it is. So take, take it, and by faith, confess it. You've got nothing to lose but everything to gain. Right? So the servants came to Abigail at Carmel, and they spoke to her, saying, David sent to us to you to ask you to become his wife. And I bet she's going, oh, good. I finally got a real guy. You know, the Lord got rid of this guy, and I finally got David. David's going, yeah, I felt the same way. When the first day I saw you, my jaw hit the ground, but you're married. Oh, what a problem. And God says, oh, don't worry. <laughs> I mean, this is not the reason that God did it, but he, Nabal had what was coming to him. And the Lord is sovereign. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. She was a true servant. And you know, we need servants today. True servants. Are you a true servant? Be willing to do anything? Scrub floors? Vacuum? Anywhere. I mean, it could be at home. Are you a servant in your own home, guys? Do you expect your wife to do everything and you just kind of throw your socks on the floor and everything and she's got to pick it all up? Do you expect her to pick it up? Do you pick up after yourself? Do you put your dishes, do you rinse them off and put them in the dishwasher? Or are you just the man of the house? I'm the man of the house. Where's my food? Where's my slippers and my pipe? That's Nabal. Right? That's Nabal. But Abigail, a true servant. Are you a true servant? So Abigail arose in haste and rode on a donkey. She she was attended by five of her maidens. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel. I'm assuming this may have been one of the other five maidens that came with him. I don't understand. You know, it's hard for us to understand. You know, in God's economy in the New Testament, he he really designed marriage to be just one man and one woman. And And it's always better that way for everybody. Do you remember Hannah and Penina with um, Eli, you know, Samuel's father? Remember that? Or Elkanah? Do you think it's always good to have, you know, two or three wives? Do you understand how that could be a problem? Anybody here? I mean, honestly, even if, even if the tables were turned, okay, I'm not trying to be uh, hard on women, but, I mean, think about it, ladies. If you had, like, three or four husbands, they're all jockeying for position, what's that going to look like? It's not good. You love him more than you love me. He put his arm around. He kissed you. I saw you on the field, and you even enjoyed it. I saw you do it. No, I didn't enjoy it. I hated it. No, you're lying to me. I saw you embrace him and hug him and kiss him again, and then all of a sudden you're fighting back and forth, and you cooked it, and you burnt the pancakes, you know, and, and you're just, women are fighting, and, and he's just going, oh, Kelgon, take me away. But it wasn't God's design. One man, one woman. One man, one man. And one woman. That was God's design. And when that's working, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's the way it was supposed to be. 
Amen? Yes, indeed. So David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. It was very customary for men of importance to have more than one wife. God didn't uh, forbid it. He, he, he wasn't excited about it. He allowed it, but he wasn't excited about it. Does that make sense? But the last verse, but Saul had been given Michal. Saul had given his daughter Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. You remember when, um, when David was on the run, he was originally given Saul's eldest daughter. And when he did a switcheroo on him and says, no, I'm going to give you Michal. I'll give you Michal because she's going to vex you. So I'm going to give her her. What a great dad, huh? So he gives her the, 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 the younger daughter. And then David's on the run, so he's like, well, I probably won't see David again, so I'm just going to give Michal to someone else. We're going to find out later on, and we don't have time to go there, but in 2 Samuel chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, we're going to find out that when David becomes king, he's still in his heart. He's married to Michal, and he sends for her. And by this time... She and her new husband have been together, and he has one of his servants go and pull, that, pull her out of the house. And so she's willing, willing at this time. She's probably thinking, great, I, you know, King David, wow, I can go shopping every day. And so she goes, and she follows David, and her husband is crying behind her. What are you taking my wife? And he, I feel bad for the guy. But David says, no, she belongs to me. She always belonged to me. She doesn't belong to you. So David now has a handful of wives with him. But again, I want to go back, and, and, and we'll end here, just, just to encourage you. You know, in this, in this chapter that we're looking at today, just, you know, when you look at Abigail, and you just see what a wonderful servant she was, that really challenges me. And you see how much, even though her husband was not a nice man, she was kind to the saving of his life and the men around him. And then to see David, you know, just fall in love with her. And so, we're going to see next week David again on the run, on the run again from Saul. Never quite escapes his hand. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for this night, and we thank you for this chapter, Lord. And um, thank you, Lord, that you preserve us from so many hurtful things, Lord. Just thinking of how David uh, was bent, Lord, on destruction. And, Lord, you sent this woman with just such a wonderful heart, filled with prophecy, and just changing David's life, Lord. And Father, help us to be men and women, Lord, uh, servants, that we would listen, that we'd be accountable, that we'd be willing to listen, and that we wouldn't allow our emotions to rule over us, Lord, anger, fits of anger. Lord, just being led by the Spirit, Lord, and having the fruit of the Spirit govern our lives, the temperance and the patience, the self-control, all these things. And so, Father, just have your way with us today, Lord, and tonight, and bless our day tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.